0: Follow along with me. The first one comes from James 2, 2, through 5. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he has promised those who love him? Luke 4, 18 through 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. You sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. To Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah 10one 3 Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. What will you do on the day of reckoning when disaster comes from afar? To whom will you run for help where will you leave your riches? Proverbs 22.22 22. Do not exploit the poor because they are poor and do not crush the needy in court. For the Lord will take up their cause and will plunder those who plunder them. Psalm 82.3-4 Defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And finally, John, 1 John three seventeen through 18 If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. The word of the Lord.
1: I'm going to um, take a little bit of pastoral privilege before I start the sermon, so this doesn't count on my how long the sermon is, just in case you're wondering. That's why we get them to read, too, so that even to get a little more time. Um, uh, I'm, I was uh, fortunate enough, along with about 30 other people, to uh, go down uh, to Pastor Howard and Terrence's um, mom's funeral, and... Um, I, I just want to say, uh, the first I was proud of, of our congregation having 30 odd people, someone down there. That's not including the Brown family. Um, and, uh, you missed, you missed something special. <laughs> if you didn't go, I hear it's on, uh, DVD. I heard it was recorded, so uh, maybe we can get it from them. Uh, it was, um, we talked last week about, uh, grieving and hope, and they were just spot on with grieving and hope. It was, uh, grievous. It was sad. And it was hopeful, deep down body hopeful uh, at times. Uh, it was just a joy to be a part of. Um, and anybody, ask any of the 30 people who went, and uh, we were formed well. Um, you need to be especially proud of Joel, who spoke on behalf of his family. Joel, many of you probably don't know because he was an intern with us in our first year. Um, and Terrence, who sang It Is Well With My Soul, like It Is Well With My Soul has never been sung. Um, uh, it was incredible. And then Pastor Howard, uh, it was just a privilege to know him <laughs> preaching uh, the eulogy, both as son and pastor. Uh, it was, it was, it was amazing. It was amazing. It was tender, beautiful, hard, and, and glorious. So, um, uh, we are heading on into our sermon series about God's mission, um, talking about the poor today and God's mission for the poor. But I don't want us to lose sight that our, uh, our family, our pastor and our worship director and the Brown family is still aching. Coming back today or tomorrow, and I really want to encourage you again. Since there weren't that many people—not even that many people here—but uh, but as as usual. But even when we did the announcements, it was less. But please, from two, is it 2:30 to 4:30? What is it, somebody? 2:30 to 4:30? Please come and, and help uh, 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 take care of the business in the house if you can, and, and we're going to do some cleanup. Monique, where are you? There you go. Monique's there. She's kind of in charge of the house and stuff. Not in charge. Well, she just yeah. She are now, uh, <laughs> and uh, so just to look after her, and, and she'll give us directions uh, on how to how to take care of uh, of them, getting food. Remember both to Howard and Terrence's uh, family, So uh, we want to fill up those freezers. We won't actually have to buy a freezer because we have so much. So um, anyway, our sermon series today is on the well, is is continuing in the mission of God. And when you think about the poor and church stuff and, and you think about what, what's going on there, you, you know, the, the things come in your head, stuff like, um, oh, you know, there's that guy sitting on the street corner and he's got his sign with promises to bless you if you give him money, that God would bless you if you give him money. Or you have other thoughts in Christianity and the mission and stuff and you hear about money and, uh, um uh, about, um, about poverty and stuff and you hear things on TV like God want, Jesus wants you to be rich. That, uh, if you would just give your faith, or give a faith gift, uh, God will bless it tenfold. And you can be rich too and be a Christian rock star like all the rest of us that are here on TV. You hear sometimes the opposite of that where you hear in Christian circles, what, no, what God wants you to do, what Jesus wants you is poor. He wants you brokered in the Ten Commandments. He wants you, uh, not knowing where your next meal comes from, uh, so that you can be like St. Francis and have real faith. Uh, and, uh, and it would be better if you could just deny all things you hear that sometimes in certain circles um then you have the real realities of our own city who uh, is uh is even though more immune than uh than most is still dealing with the uh, with the, the devastation of, of uh these these predatory loans that have been given to people with 120% of their value and now uh one missed paycheck due to illness or what have you or a downsizing and they lose their homes and are looking for uh, shelter in one of the 19 beds, I think, if, uh, so if if I'm right, 19 rooms that are for families for homeless in our town. 19, that's it. Uh, there's lots more for non-families for individuals, but I think for families it's just 19. Or you realize that there are actually 5,000 homeless people in Charlotte. There are 5,000 homeless people, and 65% of them have full-time jobs. The whole myth of the poor. The lazy poor, you know, when a two-bedroom apartment costs an average of six hundred fifty a month, and you make minimum wage, it's tough. It's tough. It's really tough when you have a couple kids and you're trying to figure out how to have your shelter. One again, one missed paycheck, and you're on the street. It's a difficult thing. How do we navigate through God? Jesus wants you to be rich. Jesus wants you to be poor. What do we? How do we deal with all this stuff? And how do we deal with it with respect to God's mission? Mission to the poor. How do these things relate? We know that it's a part. We got a sense, and just as just if you hang around Christians long enough, or hang around the church long enough, or you know think about things like Mother Teresa, you get some sense that the poor and Jesus and and God and stuff and Holy Spirit and stuff they all go together somehow. Um, but what I want to say to you is that there is an essential link, um, uh, an important link. Uh, God, in fact, prioritizes the poor. Prioritizes the poor. Now. I want to be careful. I want to say that he doesn't only prioritize the poor. I want to be careful and say a couple other things about it. But I think we need to have to do what we have to do is explore this question of this priority for a while, and then ask the question uh, both why and how. So, priority for the poor. There's a lot of confusing things in, in the Bible, and a lot of confusing things in the um, in theology and things like that. There are things like the Trinity which is pretty tough to explain. We read from the Creed from the Salvation Army today, and you had the two persons, you had three persons in one Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. You had uh, uh, the, the fully God, fully human. You have the the kind of uh, two natures of Jesus. That's kind of tough to get your mind around. How sin is atoned for through blood sacrifice. His Those are tough things. But one thing that's not difficult to do scripturally is establish that God has priority for the poor. Now, you may not have heard it a lot, depending on your tradition. You may have heard it all the dadgum time, if it was a part of another tradition. But um, but it's not hard to establish at all. Jesus' very first sermon. Okay, so this is the inaugural address. This is January 20, 1, 20, something like that. And you take office. He's coming in. He's starting his rabbinic ministry. He's starting to teach. He's coming out and uh, doing his thing. And he goes up to the synagogue. He opens a scroll of Isaiah. He stood before the people and he reads this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me, or you sent me, now referencing God, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Roll up, scroll, sit down. That's what he did. That's the first sermon. That's his first shot at it. And that's what he proclaims. The Lord's favor. Now, there's a priority to the poor in that. The very first thing is good news to the poor. You, hit, you hear that? I mean, that's, I'm not making that up, am I? That, that's there, right? Now, it's not an exclusive priority. We need to be careful. There's no partiality in God. Uh, sometimes we kind of say, well, it, it's not like that poor people are somehow better, like the moral poor or the worthy poor. you got to love that that uh, uh, that kind of take on things. Um It's not exclusively to the poor, but there is a priority. And we need to be careful about priority because when we're humanly speaking, when we say priority, what do we mean? We mean the stuff we do that we know we gotta get done because the other stuff on the list ain't gonna get done. Right? Well, when you're talking about God who gets to do whatever the heck he wants to and does it well, you don't have uh you don't have he doesn't have anything like, like hanging down on the list that he hasn't able to accomplish. It's just a priority. All things get accomplished. And those all things include the redemption of the entire cosmos, right? Every square inch of the earth is called his Every tongue and tribe and nation, from every tongue, tribe and nation, people will come forth who are, who are his own. He is um, he is mending the world as far as the curse is found. But yet there's still this priority for the poor. Not exclusive. Not a blind priority, too. There's actually scriptures that say, Hey, don't don't join the bleeding heart bandwagon. There's a scripture in Exodus that's really great. It says, "Hey, look, um, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd, and do not show favoritism to a poor man in a lawsuit, like just because he's poor. So it's not it's not exclusive or blind priority, but it is priority nonetheless." And the other thing it's not is it's not a patronizing priority, which is my favorite of all. It's a very dignifying priority. It says that somewhere deep down in the, in a human being, in all human beings, there's this sense uh, and desire to provide for your family, to provide. Yes, even in the, the Garden of Eden, there's this sense where work uh, matters and and, and and tilling the soil is an important part of who we are as human beings. Now, it has categories for the sluggard of Proverbs. That's the lazy person. Um, uh, also, it says that Paul says, if you're an able-bodied person and you aren't able to work, then you, let, let's, you, I mean, you don't work, you should not eat as you eat the communal dinner together. I'm all for that. That's all there. But the main thrust of what the Scripture talks about when it talks about the poor is not, um, is not this kind of uh, 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 patronizing look at the poor or anything like that, or, hey, this is your fault. There's a, a, a sense in which uh, two things occur. One is that there's tragedy that exists. There's drought. There's something that's happened, natural disaster of some sort. Things just aren't working. The economy collapses, if you will, or oppression. That people actually take advantage of other people. Those are the majority categories for the poor in Scripture. Now I've read a lot about it, and there are hundreds of scriptures in the poor and in, in, um, in, in the Scriptures. And I'd say that's a pretty good assessment of it. You know, I don't, I won't put numbers on it. a God-given desire to work, a God-given dignity. And I think sometimes when we have these talks, we're always looking for the worthy poor or the, 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 wh- whatever it is. But there seems to be a sense in which poverty in the Scriptures is much more about justice than it is about mercy. It's much more about how we treat each other rightly. Now, think about how God does this, not just uh, in the things He says, but also how He acts. Okay, it's 2000 B.C., B.C.E. for you academics. It's 2000 B.C., you get to you're trying to declare and show to all of humanity your love and care for your for the people. You've got several really good empires to choose from. First choice, Egypt, kick and tail and take a name, the true empire of the day. Second choice, maybe first choice is debatable at this point, 2000 BC, China, middle of the Bronze Age, killing it. They got it going on. The Nubians are doing really well until they started fighting the Egyptians. So that would have been a good choice, you know, kind of a little bit of an underdog, but you know, still in the running. If you had waited a few hundred years, you could go with the Mayans. That's, they're pretty clever folk, right? That would have been a great idea. Maybe a few hundred years after that, maybe a thousand years after that, kind of have gone the Incas. Something's happening in 2000 BC with the, with the, um, the Celts, or the, uh, excuse me, the, um, uh, Anglos and the Saxons, because that's when Stonehenge is happening. So they're kind of cool, you know. No. Who do you choose? You choose Israel. At that point, it isn't even a country. And when it becomes a country, it becomes enslaved people. That's who you choose. Brilliant. Right? I'm sure that's the number one activity when your PR and marketing is get the word out by getting the losers and saying, hey, I'm with them. That's what Jesus does. 400 years of slavery Okay, I'm with them. A kingless slave people. I'm with them. That's what he does. He prioritizes the poor even in redemptive history. You don't get much more poor or impoverished than 400 years of slavery, right? Listen to what James says. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this. To visit orphans and widows and their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And sometimes I think we go into the unstained from the world part. We're like, don't watch bad movies. And there's a sense in which we shouldn't watch bad movies. But unstained from the world is also this whole idea that um, that you can do whatever you want, you can oppress whoever you want. The world does do a lot of oppressing if we haven't been around anyth- at all. But you can be unstained by you can be stained by the world by this valuing of of, of monetary things, of mammon, of of stuff more than people. There's a sense in which this is a priority and a deep and central priority to the mission of God. Defend the cause of the weak, Adam read. Maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And Pastor John in his first epistle says to his congregation, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in needs but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in them? Dear children, that's not love love with words and tongue, but with actions and in truth. It's so good because the Bible the Bible is such a realistic book and it knows that we're going to overvalue and undervalue. That's that whole thing in James that we had talked about, that was read earlier about, oh, so the, the dude who's pimped out is coming in. The guy who's got great clothes is coming in. And the guy who doesn't have barely anything on his back comes in. And, you come, and they come in, how do you treat either one? Which way do you treat it? I mean, this is not that different than what it is. Now, it may not be, uh, depending on our cultural context or where we are, it may not be exactly, uh, you know, gold everywhere. It may be something more subdued. It may be the car you drive up in. Or the car that you don't drive up in, but a car that's just right at the edge of whether it's cool or not to drive that car, though it's of high value, even though you didn't pay a whole lot for it, but you could sell it for a whole lot. Or maybe it's like an old BMW, so that it can't do it. You, you, you know, it's still really in, in shape and good and cool. And, you know, you know, kind of the shabby sheet kind of thing, right? We are very careful about how we claim our statuses, right? No offense to the... I'm sorry. I didn't mean that towards you. He loves BMWs. That's fine. You're allowed to love BMWs. Um, but it's this kind of status pursuing and you know, you know how you treat people when they come and just when they come and how they look what their clothes look like is it pressed or is it properly unpressed is their hair done right or properly disheveled you know you know how it is this is how we treat people they're marks marks of how we're going to treat people how we're going to deal with these things it says we discriminate among ourselves and become judges with evil thoughts we become judges with evil thoughts Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom He promised those who love Him? We'll talk about that in a little bit. So what it is, is that there's a priority. It's not a neutrality with respect to the impoverished. There's a priority. Miroslav Vov, the great uh, Croatian, I think Croatian, he may be Bosnian, I don't know, a former Yugoslavian country, um, uh, uh, writes this. There's another incentive when there, there is no neutrality possible. For those who appeal to the biblical traditions, the presumption that one perspective is just as valid as the other is unacceptable. The initial suspicion against the perspective of the powerful and rich is necessary. Not because the powerless are innocent, but because the powerful have the means to impose their perspective by argument and propaganda and support the imposition of both with the attractiveness of their glory and the might of their weaponry. In part, their power lies in the ability to produce and give plausibility to their ideas and to justify their own richness and power. Often the only resource of the powerless and the poor is the power of their desperate cry. The Jewish prophets, he says, and indeed the whole of scriptures, are biased toward the poor and the powerless. I think it's a great summation of the Scriptures. Not because they're innocent. Because justice needs to be done. Okay, so why? Why is this a big deal? Why is this important? What's going on? And and I have to say, that it's not exactly fair. It's a little bit like uh, trying to summarize uh, 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 all of Scripture when you answer the question, why? Because there's no passage that says, well, I'm glad you asked why. Uh, the reason why I have priority to the poor is because of X and Y. And I will play it, lay, play it out to you as clearly as possible, so that you can go tell them. It doesn't quite do that, but as you gain, as I've read these scriptures, and, and and in one sense this has been kind of my minor in pastoral theology, is is the things I've been concentrating on, is uh, is there two things that I think that come up for the answer why. One is dignity, and one is display. Display I just use because it's a D, but uh, I'll get back to that later. Dignity. Think of the scriptures again. Isn't it precisely what you should do if you're trying to show how much you love people, to pick Israel, the slave people, who have been tortured by a tyrannical ruler in the Pharaoh, who have been enslaved, isn't it precisely that kind of people, the poor, the broken, the enslaved, to show off your glory, to, 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 to bring dignity to people? Isn't it precisely the kind of people you should grab? Isn't it precisely the type of people you would want to prioritize? God intends to bring dignity to others and he does it through all sorts of means care of souls care of people care of um of, of well, in terms of distribution of funds and, and making sure they have places to eat and all uh, uh, and, and to and to um uh to garden and to to use their uh their gifts and their ability to make their own bread and all sorts of things like that but he also requires a protection on them blessed is he who has regard for the weak the lord delivers him in times of trouble defend the cause of the weak and fatherless, maintain the rights rescue the weak and needy there's an assumption there that that's required that's needed and so it's not just an, an encouragement to do right uh and to and to live this out right and to kind of make an equal playing field there's actually an encouragement to look into our own hearts that we might be the oppressors do not exploit the poor psalm 2010 20, 22 says because the because they are poor and do not crush the needy in court you see how power and money and legislation and Judici- judicial realities are all kind of tied together. I won't, that's a whole nother sermon. But, um, but you see how that's, t- that's tied together? The oppression of the poor happens to be in court and all sorts of other fines and other sorts of uh, things like that. For the Lord will take up their case and will plunder those who plunder them. That's a, that's a serious, that's a warning. That's a warning. Plunder the poor. I will plunder you, God says. And so there's this fight to, to 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 deal with the injustice in ourselves. This woe to the unjust lawgivers. Be careful. And there's dignity in that, both for the poor and for the uh, uh, the the, uh, the rich, or the, for the powerless and the powerful. There's dignity that says, hey, you do have real power, and you need to deal with it well, and you need to be warned that you'll be accountable for that. Think about parenting. Incredible power, right? Incredible wealth. And you will be accountable to how you distribute that wealth and care for your kids in that, teach them responsibility in that, and all those things. Same thing. If you're put in a position in a cultural context or whatever it is of power and wealth, guess what? You have to deal with it well. And there are pure and true and good warnings that say, no, I'm not trying to keep, to take your wealth away. I'm trying to have you deal with it well. And see, what's happening here is there's actually two liberations going on in here, in this dignity. There's the one of the oppressed, but there's also the one of the oppressor. Because it ruins the soul of the oppressor to oppress. And so he's after two different types of people here. And you know, and I say this every time I come to this subject, you know who I think got this better than any human being that I know of besides the Lord Jesus. And that's Martin Luther King Jr. As the hoses were being raged against his own chest, as the dogs bit against, were biting him and other people he was not just praying and working so that we could that, that they would have their own rights but to free their brothers and sisters who were actually doing the oppressing he knew both were jacked up and needed to be healed and he constantly spoke of that constantly spoke of that he understood that working towards this and prioritizing the poor one of the reasons is to is to bring liberation and dignity to both sets of people dignity is number 1 Display is number two, and I told you. It's just because it's a D. Um, It displays his character. Like a brilliant uh, suspense story. He gets the underdog. Pastor Howard loves to say, God always uses Rudy. Right? It's always Rudy. It's always the bad news bears. I'm sorry to say this, but he wouldn't have swum with Michael Phelps he would be on the Jamaican bobsled team. <laughs> Cherie, sorry. a number love for you. He would be on the Jamaican bobsled team and lead them to victory. <laughs> no Patriots, no, gene t- no Dream Team. He's the American hockey team in the 80s that should have had no place in dealing with the Russians, the dominant Russians. What he does is he displays his power and love. By usurping, by undoing all this kind of, uh, tragic projection, all this tr- tragic trajectory. And he, uh, and he, and he heals the people and brings them to himself. Disciplines them and loves them and cares for them. They're not perfect. Israel's not good. We just read about all them going over and over again and just, dis- and, and, uh, and becoming an idolatrous and doing all sorts of bad things. They're not good. He's not doing it because they're good. That's why you would have chosen Egypt. Or somebody who was good, who could, who was, you know, Michael Phelps that's who you want on your team right no he chose them because using them dealing with them loving on them would display how much what his character is like you understand what that that, that he did this literally he had one of his prophets marry someone who was a harlot he had her marry a he had him marry a prostitute so that that would be displayed in their relationship what the relationship between god and his people were. It would display the glory of this loving kindness that God has for his people. But remember, it's not just that he wants to display his character as if he needs to show off his, uh, you know, trophies. Ultimately, what it's doing is displaying his Christ. Jesus reflects the same priority of the poor. He hangs out with the rapscallions and the beggars of the world, with prostitutes. He, he, he dives down to the bottom of the social pyramid with lepers and Samaritans and prostitutes. Poor. Tax collectors. And he embodied the same for himself. He had no place to lay his head, the scripture said. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. That's that's not good. That's like borrowing someone's toothbrush. It's way too intimate and it's disgusting. It's not connected. That's not supposed to happen that way. But he had to. And his whole life was marked by care for the poor. He said things like, when you have a banquet, don't invite your friends or the rich people because they're going to pay you back. What I want you to do is go out to the sides of the streets and I want you to uh, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and then you'll be blessed because they can't repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You see, what he's doing is he's actually connecting this care for the poor in not being able to be repaid so that it connects to his very life and death and resurrection. What he's talking about is, I want you to enable, embody and live a life that displays free grace. And that's what I give to you. It is free grace, a grace that cannot be repaid, a love and mercy of people who are freed, not because they're good, not because they're noble, not because they're worthy, but because they're loved and adored by the Father himself a grace that comes from Jesus for both the oppressor and the oppressed through the cross of Jesus. This freedom and forgiveness of sin, real sin, God does deeply care about justice. He will plunder those who plunder the poor unless as oppressors they repent and come to Him and are freed by Him and say, please have mercy on me. And He says, yes, I will have mercy on who I have mercy on and I will give you and restore you into the right place with your possessions and with others. He gives himself up in free grace to love the other. Martin Luther King said, If physical death is the price that I must pay to free my white brothers and sisters from permanent death of the Spirit, then nothing can be more redemptive. King got it because he knew who Jesus was and what he was doing in prioritizing the poor. Why he was doing it. Because it points like a big arrow to the cross for those who are in need of free grace. I don't have a lot of time, but i got to talk to you about how. Because frankly, the why is important. It points us straight to Jesus. But I believe that we are in, um, especially in in my own tradition of kind of do-gooder Christianity, a little bit, my heart bleeds a little bit. Uh, um, we are in we're in a terrible spot because we have all these good intentions, and we forget manner. We forget the how. We forget the dignity that's being brought that needs to be brought. We have uh, approaches that are actually damaging to people in poverty, and we have uh, we have ways of thinking and doing things that uh, that are are just they just don't they betray uh what we intend in terms of being a, a loving neighbor and a helping a helping neighbor they betray uh that by by putting us on pedestals and things like that and I, as i've thought through it i've kind of coalesced a few of them in my, in my head and i think we we approach uh issues of mercy and justice in in about three ways that i think are kind of jacked up the first one as i'd call the atm approach which is uh, a little bit like the uh, health and wealth gospel. If you if you give some mercy and justice and love and kindness in, I'm going to get some mercy and justice and kindness out. And so God's kind of obligated to me. It's kind of the ATM. You put the right numbers in and then I get my money, right? Sometimes it's literal money. Sometimes it's, I'm going to do this, I'm, you know, for the more sophisticated who don't think money is going to be the one thing to get it. If I do this thing, I better be rewarded with good feelings of self-importance. Right? You know when you're this, when you're getting frustrated. You're like it's not working. They're not. They're not. I'm not feeling good about myself here. They're, they're not doing right. They're not middle class. You know that's a problem, right? That's a problem. Uh, uh, you, you know, you're not. Uh, you're, 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 they're, they're not performing to the way, the way you want to do it. Because see, it's not about them really. It's about you and how you feel good about yourself. There's the kind of self-serving. Uh, uh, maybe you call it the resume approach, which is if I can just. You know, it's kind of the college approach where you got to do all. You're trying to get in college, so you have to have like 57 different um, uh, activities that you're a part of, and you have to be the secretary or vice president of each, right? And so what you do is you go be the mercy, mercy and justice guru, and you go out and you're doing all sorts of stuff, and you um, and and you you're very humble about it, of course, but it's somehow everybody knows that you're doing it. And you know you're in that, uh, that, uh, that resume-building approach when, you're, when you don't have any secrets about, <laughs> about it, when somebody somewhere important knows. But I think the most deadly of them all is, if, is some type of combination of, uh, of Messiah complex and uh, hand-down. The Scriptures are actually very clear about this, that it's not a hand-down. We'll get to them in a second. But I want to I say that this hand-down approach this reaching down to help somebody poor and needy, is as dehumanizing and sometimes it's in the very institutions that we create. It's dehumanizing, It's, it's cruel because you're in a position of power. It's unchristian because it doesn't give somebody the dignity that they're called to. And I think it's evil because it actually creates division instead of unity. It puts you above somebody else, literally, in power, them in need of your kind hand. You would become the Messiah. You become the person who has white man's burden or middle class black man's burden. doesn't matter what it is. You, you got to give back to your community now, whatever it is. And I think it becomes a real problem because the Scripture teaches us two things that we've got to get straight. One is... There isn't just a priority of the poor. There's a privilege of the poor. And I do not mean that in some kind of goofy sociological approach. But Jesus actually says, or James does, uh, in the Spirit through James, says that the poor have found favor with God and that they've been made rich in faith. In the economy of Jesus, that's here. In the economy of Jesus... It's difficult as a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That's not a joke. The camel in the eye of the needle? You, you've heard this before, maybe one time that you know that, that there's this place in Israel where the, the, they're called the eye of the needle, where it's really hard to get the camel in, and the, you have to take the stuff off the back of the camel to get it through. Y'all heard this? That's a lie. That doesn't exist. There's no place in Israel. It's intentionally hyperbolic. That doesn't exist. It's really, really hard. Now it goes on to say that what's impossible for man is, uh, is is possible for God. So there's a way. Again, He is the redeemer of the oppressed and the oppressor. But what we're doing, what we're what we're saying here is that, um, is that there's a privileged place, there's a place to be esteemed and honored. And if you do the the, the, the demographics of Charlotte, North Carolina, it proves true. If you did a demographic study on religious uh, involvement and per capita income and you put it on top of each other, it's inverse. The more money, the less religious involvement. It's almost exactly inverse. It's absolutely stunning. So here's the third point, or the last point. Not only are we supposed to esteem the poor, what all this leads us to is that we are the poor. Luke, who probably does more narrative... About poor and uh, and the weak and the broken and the oppressed and anybody else. When he translates, "Blessed are the poor, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God." You know what he translates it to? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, I'm not trying to de- uh, uh, I'm not trying to over spiritualize this, but there's something about poverty that's linked to our spiritual poverty, and we need to all realize, compared to Jesus, we are all in great need. That we're all beggars who need not just everything that we have, but we need His forgiveness and His restoration. That we have been both the bad poor, the lazy poor, the noble poor, the oppressive, the cruel. We've done all those things. And we need to be forgiven and restored. That we are all those things and we need Him to restore us to Himself. We need Him to change us, to transform us. To provide for us. Not just that we esteem the poor, that we become poor. Poor in spirit and poor in reality. Listen, when we were at the funeral, anybody who's there read uh, Miss Laquinas, um, uh, they did a great, like, two or three page uh, kind of little biography history of her. And Howard, uh, Pastor Howard actually mentioned this in, um, in his eulogy. But if you notice her life, her vocational life, every step she took vocationally was away from uh, more prestige and more honor. But she, like Jesus, dove down to the social classes. She started uh, very early on having 40 beds that she was in charge of as a nurse. She ended as an individual caretaker for hospice. She could have climbed the ranks. But every job she took went to geriatrics and then to veterans and then to eventually to hospice after she retired. No honor, no glory. She got it. That somehow, when you're with the weak and needy, you are the weak and needy. That somehow you are the weak and needy and you become with the weak and needy. Somehow that that's connected in some beautiful way and Aquinas Brown got it. And there were 500 people or so there who knew she got it. And she had the hope of glory, the hope of the resurrection, that they wish he would be risen up on the resurrection of the just that Jesus promises as we pursue this as a mission in our church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us. We, we love our stuff. And we hate those who remind us that we love our stuff. Jesus, help us, cure us of disease, of of hating the poor, of being oppressive, of refusing to be poor ourselves. Jesus, help us. Help us be poor in spirit. Help us collapse on You for all that we need and all that we have and collapse on Your forgiveness at Your cross for the ways in which we have fought and usurped Your kingdom. We ask in Your name,
0: Amen.